Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. So today on Flower Hour, we have a legit baking icon joining us, don't we, Jeremiah? Yeah, I mean, some might say a goddess. A baking goddess. She literally wrote the cake Bible. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. It's, uh, I mean, it's like, what do you call? Like, I mean, it's like a, it's, I mean, it is called a Bible. It's like a religious (laughs) baking book, you guys. (laughs) And I think it's in its, what did she say? Like her, it's 32nd printing. It's sold so many copies and that's incredible for a book of its size. And I mean, there's like hardly any pictures. I, and yeah, it's, it's one of those books too. Don't you think that anybody who is really excited or, or focused on making cake, or even if they're not, it's like one of those books that people just have in their repertoire. It's, it's like an essential baking book to have around. But it's not her only book. She's also done quite a few. Yeah, she has other Bibles, including the Baking Bible, which has all kinds of baking disciplines in one place, the Pie and Pastry Bible. Then there's a book solely dedicated to cakes called Rose's Heavenly Cakes. And then her newest book, Rose's Baking Basics, just was released this year. And that's 2018, if you're listening to this in the future. <laughs> so this <laughs> really cracked me up. This interview is a little bit different. Um, most of our interviews, you guys know, we do virtually. But for this one, Jeremiah, where were you? Where was I? Where was Rose? It was really exciting when we got in touch with her. She said, I'm on my book tour for Rose's Baking Basics, and I'll be in San Francisco. Could you come do the interview in person? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have to make this work because, I mean, for me, she's definitely a hero. And I mean, I, ha- I do own all of her books. And so um, I'm with her in San Francisco in her hotel lobby. And Amanda's on my laptop in Los Angeles. And Woody's there with us too. And sometimes there are kids running around in the background. And it was a super special time to be able to talk to her about all things baking and about all she loves. And for a Flower Hour exclusive, Rose announces the name of her next book. I say, stick to your subject. All I want to talk about is the next book, which I put in a, a week ago. <gasps> oh, oh two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Well, I break the news now. <laughs> I'm even giving out the title, which I can't believe nobody took yet. So, but they can't once I announce it, right? <laughs> anyway, nobody's writing ice cream books. This I think that it won't sell, but I don't care. That's what they said about the cake Bible. I follow my bliss, and that's the title. Okay, but not following your bliss. Ice cream. Rose's ice cream bliss. Rose's ice cream bliss. Bliss. Special. And my editor said, that's just how I feel about it. But she said, people love ice cream more than anything, but they don't want to make it. And I said, they will when they try my ice cream, because you can't buy some of these flavors. And besides, I've changed the way in which ice cream is made to make it easier, faster, and more accurate. This is Woody Wollston, Rose's collaborator. Yeah. On Amazon, Ben Jerry's ice cream book has been like the number 
with the top five best-selling. That's true. I, had, I should have pointed that out, but I'm not Ben and Jerry's. You know, when I went to UVM, that's where they started. They had just started. I, I thought the ice cream was too rich. Mm-hmm. They had all those dairy cows in Vermont. And now my ice cream is super rich because that's the best way to keep it from being icy. Right, more than that keeps it from crystallizing, crystallizing and plus other little secret things that I've revealed. <laughs> 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 well, I'd rather have less, you know, yeah. have smaller, richer. Well, we're so excited to have you on our podcast flower hour it's a I love joy that name. isn't it cute <laughs> you know i wrote an article for food arts magazine flower power we mm-hmm. yes that's definitely with that crossed our minds when we were thinking about <laughs> and my instagram flower rose you know, oh. so flower is the soul of what i do except that i could do with that flower i can't do without eggs when people are saying you know what can you what can you eliminate that people can't tolerate yeah i'm with you that eggs are the hardest thing to mm. and they make such gorgeous gorgeous textures and mm. delicious things and nowadays it's so weird because the chickens apparently they're using younger chickens for laying eggs so i guess they're called laying hens but the thing is that the reason i found that out is i was noticing that the yolks are much smaller and you know the di- i mean when you have a carton of 12 eggs each one doesn't have to be two ounces it has to add up Two times twelve is twenty-four, right? Oh. Yeah. So, but that's okay, you know, because it generally evens out. But now we have to put, especially in the ice cream book, but in all things, we say like seven to eleven yolks. That's how much it can vary. Yeah. And it will make a huge difference. And then I have one of my biggest tips of all time was how you can never ever overbeat egg whites when you're yeah. beating them. If you use an eighth of a teaspoon of cream of tartar per egg white but it's not if it's per one and a half egg whites which is what you're probably getting in today's uh, eggs so you need to measure so, the weight of the egg whites either the weight much. or the volume and i'm all for weighing it's just so much easier better and more yes. accurate and I don't know it's my any, mantra i've never seen any other cookbook where they we they'll state a range of yolks that's like right we do. but you know how we discovered how critical it was we were making a wedding cake for a friend and mm-hmm. i thought well let's make a gin was 12 inch and i hadn't done it for a while yeah so i don't know why i wanted to try out something about it but it was coarse so at any rate people were saying to me that um that once in a while that they were getting coarse texture and i thought well you know i'll ignore that (laughs) so it happened to me (laughs) yeah so i called lisa yokelson who is a colleague and a really dear friend and she said have you used um cornstarch that's not gmo and i said no i wouldn't have thought that would matter but I think it's the egg yolk. And she said, yes, now I add an extra yolk to every nine-inch in was. Because you don't separate the eggs. It's a sponge cake. And right. for all the sponge cakes, you generally separate eggs. But mm-hmm. with the genoise, that was one case where I didn't have to be a fanatic you know, to separate. Now I would like to. For the wedding cake book, if we do it, we will separate them. Because there are there's so many. Yeah. But for the this new book, I said, we'll just try adding a yolk. And that works. Because even if you do have a little extra, it won't yeah. hurt. It's if you don't have enough. So between the extra yolk and also adding the uh, non-GMO cornstarch, it was just as velvety as it had always been. The ingredients have changed. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and there's so few ingredients. But... GMO modifications. Mm. And that, that's one of the questions I had, because after reading the Baking Bible, 
that there was going to be the next book was potentially going to be a wedding cake book. So I was thinking, okay, this will be great. Wedding cakes are coming. And then the basics Basics. books came out. So how did that, how did he go from wedding cakes? That's how I usually start talking about (laughs) what we've done. (laughs) Here I was going backwards. What we're doing next, what we were supposed to be doing. (laughs) Actually, the reason that the wedding cake book was going to be next is because when I met with the editor, we'd, submitted the manuscript and they said it's much too large we want it to be the same size as the heavenly cakes and i said look you've named it this is the publisher i said you've named it a bible i wasn't planning to and it has to be one you can't have four subjects which is cookies pies cakes and bread be the same size as a cake book people will notice you know i said for once don't think about the bottom line because that's what they were concerned if it was bigger they would have to i mean can imagine Taylor corporation that but for once i also stopped talking after i said it i said make it a classic the way the cake bible is and maybe instead of earning the money up front you'll have it for the next 30 years the way the cake bible is now in its 55th printing Amazing. so they listened and wow. but they said but we had a pull it was woody's idea to pull out the um the wedding cake chapter and we had a wonderful wedding cake chapter mm-hmm. cakes that you can make ahead and have time to decorate that was so moist really well this choice of 12 recipes being cut or four <laughs> yeah because wedding cakes take up a lot of yeah. you know, yeah. real estate yeah. so when they said we better do a wedding, well, do a wedding because we were slated for sure yeah but i said that i don't like what uh, doing wedding cakes are so big and you know i like smaller things and she said, well, what's wrong with big things? And I said, nothing if it's a manuscript. <laughs> so anyway. So are we um, going to see those wedding cakes, those recipes eventually? I think so, because I don't. they've changed staff now. And so the, the publisher is no longer there, and they're now more into lifestyle, which wedding cake is. Right. You know, I would think they'd want it, but by hook or by crook, we are going to publish at least what we've already done, mm-hmm. if not the whole story. Because the cake Bible, I can't tell you any people told me, even at Market Hall the other day, I've saved them. And they made their own wedding cakes. Here, Rose is talking about a chart in the cake Bible. It's full of formulas which will allow you to make any size cake, which is so helpful when designing a wedding cake. And doing that chart, you know, which is the hardest thing I've ever done. And we, I tested, and I was alone then, I tested each and every size. because I was advised by my mentor, Cecily Brownstone, whose whole career was with AP don't be a typewriter cook. And I said, what is a typewriter cook? I was actually a manuscript typist, typing 180 words a minute. Really? All this came in handy when it was time to do my own books. You know, but she said, a typewriter cook is somebody who hypothesizes. They type it up. They never test the recipe. Even Joy of Cooking, she said that it was her best friend, Irma Rumbauer. She said she didn't test the wedding cakes in the full size. She did it in the smaller size. So, in other words, don't make wedding cakes with the joy of cooking. Wait for our book, or use, use our other two books. Anyway, my editor, currently at Houghton Mifflin, said as we were signing books for um, the Baking Bible, why don't you do a basics book, a beginner book? That was what set me off because as a beginner, I, you know, after all these books, why do I have to go backwards? And besides, pe- young people have baked from all the books. In fact, they tell me that they've won awards at 4-H and stuff because yeah because young people do better than older people and beginning bakers know they have to follow everything like i remember the time that i went all over new jersey to find some spices from gourmet magazine for baked beans because i was afraid if i left anything out it wouldn't be right as it turned out it wasn't because they didn't say not to salt the beans and after two days of baking my husband said 
it's costing too much in electric. <laughs> I didn't find out until years later. You know, so my point is, though, that you don't know when you're beginning, unless people say in the recipe, what is absolutely critical or what is optional. So as I was saying that I didn't want to, to do a baking book for beginners, it suddenly dawned on me that if I could have a picture, a step-by-step of every recipe, that would be so instructive. And I thought probably it would be a deal breaker because it's cost a fortune, not only for me to do it, but for the publisher to print. So she'll just say, no, forget it. Go on with your wedding book. But she said yes immediately without even thinking. Wow. I was so thrilled because actually I did always want to do that. I wanted originally to do videos and I have over 150 on our blog Mm -hmm. and videos are great for entertainment. Yeah. Or if something is going wrong and you really want to see what did I do wrong. Right. But as far as baking, you don't want to stop in the middle with your hands full of flour and butter and stop a video or pause it. But with a book, you can stand it up in front of you. So I think that's the ultimate way to teach. And then the next step was for me to find a first-class photographer who was willing to make that trip from Manhattan, which it probably would have to be, all the way to, to uh, Mountaintop in Hope, New Jersey. Meantime, when we moved from New York six years before, I turned the entire basement into a baking kitchen. And I thought we could do videos in it. Because nowadays, you know, with people's short attention span, there are all these little quickies, and we thought that would be great for tips. But it turned out to be a godsend for the step-by-step photos. So I remembered that many years before, like 10 or 15, I had not actually graduated from the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, but I went for two years. And they considered me a graduate because they were doing a bi-monthly, and it was the first one in color. And they wanted to feature the three people they could think of who were successful in food, but it started in fashion. And I was always joking around saying, I went from draping fabric to draping fondant. Because <laughs> they're both crafts, you yes, know, and it made sense to me. So they said, we're sending our best photographer. And I said, look, I've got a million press photos, and I'm tired of smiling, you know, <laughs> and these photos. And they said, well, but this guy's really good. And I said... Well, if you send a hairstylist and a makeup person, I'm always giving deal-breaker ideas, and then they always go for it. So they did. Wow. And Matthew Septimus took the first picture of me that ever was not my sweet, smiling self. <laughs> it was my, he captured a candid, naughty shot, which is my favorite. And, yeah, because my editor at the time said, Rose, I'm, I'm tired of you looking so goddamn sweet in every picture. And I said, well, that's because I am, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's like butter wouldn't melt my mouth, kind of sweet. So um, I thought of Matthew, and we were friends on LinkedIn, although I hadn't been communicating with him because I don't use LinkedIn. But he had asked me to, and I thought he was a wonderful person. Why not? So I contacted him, and he said, well, do you remember I took your photo? And I said, yeah, I've been using it. <laughs> and it's probably beneath you because it won't be budget-worthy of your work because there's thousands of pictures they have to take before they narrow it down. And he said, the, the true artist's statement, whatever it takes, I want to do it. Aww. And there he is, six foot six in the baking kitchen. <laughs> Luckily, the basement had a fairly high ceiling. <laughs> But every once in a while, he had to lie down for his back. <laughs> he took, I think, 15,000, because that's the way photographs are done now. Well, and then he know. had There's the a job. Lot of love for doing the different aperture settings. So he did mm-hmm. five or six feet. But he's the one who had to go through all the initial but, ones. But that, that about probably about 4,000 actual steps he did take. Yeah. And then he had, of those, the final, he had to narrow it down to what he thought were the best views and the wow. best consistency because when you have step by step you want the lighting to be the same and mm-hmm. it's tricky 
So then we got it and we had to select the ones that we selected far more than we were given permission to do. And I didn't want little small posters stamp photos. So once again, I said, don't you think with these wonderful pictures, we should have more pages. Yeah. And the editor so loved the book. I mean, everybody saw it. This is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were contracted for 500. Mm. And, but after our first round, we were at 1200. <laughs> It was so hard to narrow it down. And said, well, you can't keep all those. And I was like, you know, it's out my heart. Because <laughs> they were uh, so but, good. But, 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 but he said we could use them as outfits. Yeah, but we, we were smart. We said, okay, On we, blog. we're compromising them. Yeah. You know, we're bartering. Mm. So we bartered down to about 6.30. And, of course, they had to pay more extra. You know, it wasn't, yeah. and the production so was extra. extra so it was a big we deal. That's fantastic. Mm. But I was happy, too. He deserved more. No, yeah, well, he deserved a lot more than he got. But he's so proud of this book, you know. And my husband, who was a radiologist before he retired, he had a hobby, of course, of photography, is still photography. He said he was always trying for three dimension, and never achieved it. And Matthew did in this book. It's like it jumps off the page. But then you need a good production to make the most of it. Yeah, and they did. In fact, I asked to see the color separations because I always had in other instances. But technology has changed and. The control the author has is <laughs> diminished. <laughs> but she said, I trust me, I hate that phrase, but she said that we really are going to do a great job. We'll show you some previews. And they did. I wouldn't have changed Which anything. Because we, we changed probably 50 to 60. From what they've yeah, done. They had some mm-hmm. here, you know, hey, we need to light this up, whatever to yeah. you know, The amazing mm-hmm. part about it was the fact that, you know, here he's coming probably at least 17 or 18 different days. Wow. Sometimes with different lights, uh, just because mm. he was renting them, and you, you know, and just yeah, even renting them thousands of dollars and all that. Wow, and was able to color balance everything so that everything pretty much looks sequential. Even when we moved into different into the yeah. other kitchen as well. Exactly, oh, yeah. the baking well, kitchen has two kitchens, and we had to the garages abutting the. Um, the baking kitchen and we put another refrigerator freezer there because we had to do the prep for three days ahead and we didn't have stand-ins so what do they call them where you have the second thing the third thing standing by for example say you're doing caramel and you want to capture exactly the time moment when it gets to be the right temperature Uh and he's not quick enough and then it gets too dark then you have to start again and we never had to reshoot that i think we just had one reshoot and i can't remember why yeah we reshot the apple pie Mm -hmm. I yes. still don't love it, but <laughs> and that, actually, that was just it wasn't his fault. And that was just a file. Uh, the, 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 yeah, okay. Yeah, because we had the final, and everything that we did, we also had a final, so that was a lot of work too. And when Stephanie, when our editor said we need to have many pages, also of full bleed color because that's what people want when they buy yeah. a book i said i think that's a waste of space <laughs> we have you know i'd rather show the, the steps but teach yeah but they added it and i'm so glad because my dear friend erin mcdowell who wrote fearless Bake, the fearless fearless baker right mm-hmm. um she's a, a professional food stylist and when she asked me if i would write give her a quote which i don't do but i said i'll to the forward because I know you so well and have things to say. And I said, you know, this is not quid pro quo, but I was planning to ask you, and I'll understand if you don't want to do it, if you would be the stylist for these beauty shots. And she said, oh, I'd love to. So I've never seen this in a book before, and I thought they wouldn't let me do it. But by your 11th book, you have a little bit more clout than the first one. (laughs) I said, I want to show a picture of photographer, Wee Woody, all the people in production, which were five, 
and her assistant who came from Toronto because yeah. to, she wanted the fun of working on it. And it's in, at the end of the book, they wisely put it by the acknowledgments. Wow. And his daughter snapped the shot. So she's only 10 years old, about my height. And I gave her credit. credit. They didn't do it under the picture, but in the acknowledgments. And now that she's 11, she's really tickled to think that she has credit in the book. She said, you don't have to do it, but, you know, <laughs> I gave her two baking lessons since that book. Really? Wow, she's learning um, from the best. Oh, and she wants to go to, not music and art, but... Maybe Here, Rose tells us her favorite bakeries center. in San Francisco. I'm planning to go to Michelle Paulzine's bakery, because I've never been there. Yeah, um, and every time we come, we don't have enough time to do anything else, because now... We come on book tour, but we've scheduled tomorrow morning. Also, how you met her? How did I meet Michelle? Oh, right. Okay, Miet. Well, yes. it was um, Caitlin Freeman. Um, Caitlin, what is Caitlin's original name? She married James Freeman of Blue Bottle Coffee. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm, she's the I modern art the desserts person. Yes, I wrote the forward to her book. That was I love that book. Right forward. Did you read the forward if you haven't, because. It's the story modern, of how she met James design. when she had was consulting for Blue Bottle. I just loved, and even when she was at Miet, or also, I should say, I loved her desserts. I loved Tartine. I once did an article for Food Arts called High Tide in the Bay Area because Michael Batterbury said that California and the West Coast, or especially San Francisco, is ahead of the East Coast in bread baking, but they're behind in, in pastry and other baking, and that's changing. So he yeah. said, would you go to California and to San Francisco and interview people? They gave me a whole list of people, that, of questions and protocol. And I said, yeah, throw me into the briar patch. Oh, I want as an excuse to come back. Yeah. And I discovered Tartine because Rigo Pascal, I was supposed to work with him. And when I got here, he said, oh, I'm in New York now. You know, he just blew the whole thing off. He's the baker that nobody in the area liked very much. And then I found out why, because how could he do that to me? So I called Leslie Harlow, who is the food editor of the Marin County newspaper. And she said, there are two girls in Berkeley who are doing like organic stuff. And I was picturing Birkenstock sandals and heavy, no, not bleached flour. <clears throat> I met them. And Caitlin said to me, when I asked one of the questions, where did you get your training from the cake Bible? So, of course, we became friends for life, and their yeah. stuff was exquisite. And then with Tartine, Liz Pruitt said, I don't have time. I'm in the middle of doing a book proposal and blah, blah, blah. And I said, just meet me for five minutes. I'll run through the questions. She asked if I would look at her forward. And I'm a terrible speller, but having written all these books, I knew that you spelled forward with an E after the R. So I said, you, you made a mistake. Two hours later, by giving her all the publishing advice I could come up with and falling in love with her, which she credited this Pierre Hermé, but she, it's her rendition of the lemon curd, which she does in the blender, which I think is the best ever. Yes. And that's smart. So, so I put that uh, in my book. That's one of my... So living here in San Francisco, when Tartine opened, that is what really inspired me to start baking. And then, of course, mm-hmm. like when you start looking at baking books and then i found the cake bible so it's like that was my connection to you too it was through tartine it's amazing how one thing leads to another yeah. so interviewing all these people made it a really wonderful story but i'm maybe leaving something out but what he said how did i meet more, um then, michelle polzine caitlin hmm. because he became friends and she was the stylist for Wilson's right cakes. Mm. because of doing the grouping styling for Wilson's heavenly cakes aaron mcdowell was caitlin's assistant wow. because she'd worked with ben fink the photographer so yeah. we all got to know each other just, and actually i met actually 
you know, Caitlin and I really became friends is when I came to do Daniel Patterson's wedding. And when I arrived, I sent him a whole list of things I wanted. And it was the week, three days before the wedding, and he hadn't gotten a single one, including his marriage certificate or the flowers. <coughs> He's had Claw, which was a major restaurant, which I, you know, have been so many times and loved. And he promised it would be completely closed down when we got there to make the cake. But he didn't tell me that he was making the out-of-towners dinner, so he got to witness the entire process. And Caitlin went around to all areas. I mean, when I called him from the airport as I was coming in, he said, uh, I said, did you get the green and black cocoa? And he said, no, but we have Belrona. And I said, well, I hate Belrona cocoa. I love their chocolate, but I, I hate the cocoa. So anyway, Caitlin volunteered to go every place to get the $100 Temp, uh, temper, what's the name of my favorite thermometer? The Thermopan, which I couldn't live without because that yeah. glaze that we were doing was very precision, you know, it needed exact That's temperature. On the yes, you know, and yeah. you can't bring that on the plane because no. of the probe. Right. And also, he didn't have a microwave, which you really need for that glaze, too. So he borrowed an old one from his neighbor, which worked just fine. But it was a big dramatic presentation. And then <laughs> at the party itself, uh, that's how Kathleen Weber brought bread from Delafateria and Tom McGee was there and you know, just all my friends. It was the most amazing event. But anyway, getting back to how I met Michelle. Michelle, when I was coming, we were coming for the last book tour. That was eight years ago. So anyway, maybe four. Four years. Yeah. And Caitlin had organized a dinner with Nicole Kaczynski. Kaminsky. Sure. Well, she's the State one birth. from State Bird. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's I know her name so well, but right now, after five cities, my, my <laughs> mind is jumbled. And I'm Michelle Holzine and, and Woody. And so we all went to State Bird, except for poor Caitlin, who said on an email, oh, crap, we have to go to Japan. <laughs> you know, that was know. When they, that's when they were establishing Blue Bottle in Japan. Wow. So she missed out on that. Would oh, you send her a system? That's right. It was the most amazing dinner. That, but what, the funniest part was when it came to dessert. Nicole said to Maureen, to Michelle, um, "This is your pudding or whatever it is she made that I'm honoring you by making tonight." Yeah. And I said, "You know, I love the pudding, but I think that little piece of pie crust is the hey, pastry actually is the best crust I've ever tasted." And she said, "Oh my God, it's your recipe!" <laughs> so here are all of us, including Woody. Cackling our heads off. Yeah. Which one? Which which pie crust? It was the cream cheese no, pie crust. Isn't that funny? Falling in love that. with your roast. That proves that I really, after 30 ones that I put in the pastry bible, and now I'm down to that one, yeah. that I really do love it. Oh, it's... And of course, she did a perfect job. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was flaky. That, you see, cream cheese pie crust used to be not flaky because it only had cream cheese, butter, and flour. But I introduced first water, which made it a little tough. Mm-hmm. But then heavy cream, which mm-hmm. was the answer, because you got more flavor, tenderness, and flakiness. Yes. And it makes in this book, in Baking Basics, I discovered that I've always saved scraps, because you, when you do a pie crust, you kind of extra. And I would layer it, make a, a fold of like a, mm-hmm. a letter in, tr- in three, so that it would all come together smoothly and put it in the freezer. And when I have enough, which is one half recipe of one single crust, I make rugula. And it is the best rugula because rugula was it will just happened, you know, that it was oh, I'll tell you a smart idea, but in one second. <laughs> 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 Another, this is the main one. But anyway, when it shows in the book breaking into half, mm-hmm. you can see how flaky it is. It's just my mouth's watering and whatever. <laughs> it's probably my favorite cookie. But we also mm-hmm. with pastry flour and sugar. Oh yeah, okay. There 
Thank you for reminding me, Woody, because while we're on that, I wanted to say about my new way of unmolding a tart pen, which, yeah. Yeah, which is so important. But what Woody's getting at is I always put pastry flour as the main thing, and then you could use bleached all-purpose. Mm-hmm. I discovered you can use bleached or unbleached all-purpose instead of pastry flour, and it's identical. Really? If yeah. you use a tablespoon of sugar per crust. So if it's a double crust pie, two tablespoons, it's 25 grams. And if it's a galette, four teaspoons. And you can get it in the supermarket, but not unsafe way. I mean, it has to be a national brand. <laughs> I did that once on television here. The stylist used Safeway flour, and it all fell apart. And I had to press it on live TV. Oh. And that's why I discovered, I knew you had to say national brand, because mainly because of White Lily, which they tout as an all-purpose, but actually is more cake flour. Right. It's the same protein content. So it has to be like gold metal or, mm-hmm. I mean, even now King Arthur you can use right. unbleached flour. With the sugar tenderizes it, but it also helps to brown and give it a beautiful color. I think that's what most, a lot of bakers don't know, how important it is to know when to use bleached flour and when to use non-bleached Even professional author and bakers. That's why when I was working with General Mills, um, they happened to be coming to New York, and Woody came from Minnesota, flour country, and I did an event at NYU. And that's when they started that, not molecular gastronomy, but it was based on that, I forget what they call it, uh, collaborative. Uh, yeah, experimental, experimental collective. Yeah. So I think it was experimental, collaborative. But anyway, they were talking about all these molecular gastronomic ways to do things. And I thought, here they're doing all this highfalutin stuff, and they don't even know the difference between flour. So I've offered to do that. And we did it with an angel food cake. And explaining, even like Wonder Flour, how it's pre-cooked partially. And so it doesn't absorb into pie crust. So it works really well. And it makes incredible angel food and even chiffon cakes because you don't overmix it. It's, it doesn't glop up. Yeah, I told them that they should think out of the can and publicize it for more than just gravy, but they make their money with their all-purpose. Okay. I mean, I can maybe change the bottom line of a publisher, but I can't change the bottom line of General Mills. That's a big ask. (laughs) This is the most important thing. I'm I'm a great proponent of weights, and I've been fighting this battle now for about 30 years, and now I hardly see a book, a baking book that doesn't have them. And now people understand that grams really are more accurate because if you're rounding off to a quarter of an ounce, that's uh, 0.25. Lower than that looks weird and off-putting. And a quarter of an ounce is seven whole grams. So now that the scales can do it, why not? But the point is if somebody uses volume, depending on how they measure the flour, they might end up with one and a half or one and three-quarter cups rather than one cup. Wow. That's how different it packs in. So that's why I'm a great believer in that. Yes. And I'll be happy to answer and if we can get back eventually, if we have time, to unmolding tarts. This is like the hula hoop of discovery. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I I really love the question we got from Milt's dad. And um, I think a great, like, basic question and something everybody could apply. He said, can you describe your method for incorporating flour into your layer cake batter, your innovative way of mixing butter cakes? And is this something we could use for any butter cake? This that's an up. excellent question. And Jeremiah and I were talking about that, of how that sort of put the, the cake bible on the map because it was a whole different way of baking, mixing batter that actually was done in commercial bakeries, but only with shortening, with high mm-hmm. ratio shortening. They didn't think it would work with butter. And I discovered by experimentation of like 40 different times of the same recipe that if you use butter that's between 65 and 75 degrees, it incorporates beautifully. The, uh, the concept is that you add all the dry ingredients, and in the past, people would say sift them together, but then they wouldn't 
evenly distribute. So I put all the dry ingredients, the baking powder, the leavening, the sugar, and the flour in the mixing bowl and then beat it together for about a minute and then added the butter and just a quarter of the liquid. And that was enough to protect the flour from developing too much gluten because there is protein even in cake flour. And then I added the egg with the rest of the... Yeah, one quarter goes into the egg, so three quarters go of the liquid goes in initially. So that was just the right balance to coat the flour, but not coat it so much that it will over-tenderize. And that meant that you could beat it longer. You didn't have to worry about overbeating. The cake would be more even. It would rise more evenly, and it would be pretty much foolproof. So it was, it was faster, easier, and better. And that's why it really was sold 18,500 books in one day when it was featured wow. in the New York Times, which was some sort of miracle. And the Cake Bible has continued to sell. It's now in the 55th printing. And people have seen it in Kathmandu and in the submarine. I get reports back. Now, submarine, I know at Louisiana, in Louisiana, below sea level, gelatin didn't set very well, which is really unexpected. But at high altitude, I could only hypothesize because... I was on the seventh floor when I t- in Manhattan at sea level. You know when when I t- tested all the recipes, so I can't say for sure how it would work at Kathmandu. Some things <laughs> might have worked better than others. Alexandra, there we go, Alexandra Holbrook. And the question is, how do you prevent shrinkage on tart doughs? Oh, I love that question. First of all, use my recipe. <laughs> if you use a high protein flour, not only is it tough, it will shrink more. Oh, that's a good tip. Yeah, and as I said, the sugar will tenderize it. Yeah, for pastry dough, right? Tart dough you're talking about. Well, when you're rolling it out, and this is one of the things I always talk about when I'm doing a demo or a talk, because people don't realize that if it's if you don't make it, um, if you don't lift it while you're rolling it and, and allow it to shrink in and put it in the pan, and then you stretch it when putting it in the pan, it will always shrink in the tart pan. So while you're rolling it out, every once in a while lift to make sure it's not sticking and also you'll see that it will retract back a little mm-hmm. just keep rolling until it doesn't do that and sometimes i even cut it out and then roll it again to just to make sure i mean just roll it lightly to make sure that it's going to be big enough and not shrink back and then if you blind bake the crust the worst thing that can happen two worst things one is if you don't support the bottom and then your hand goes through it after yes. you know, so you always have it on something else that happened to me once and it never happens after that because <laughs> all that work you know. but the other thing is that you always it always will shrink a little so you push it up but maybe an, an eighth of an inch above the, the size of the pan it's so easy to have a little bit of the dough stick to the outside of the pan and if you don't wipe it off before baking it grabs on and the rest of it pulls down and you get holes in the side which is a real heartbreaker so that's an easy thing to do just right before putting it in the oven check a second time to see that there's nothing sticking to the side. Another thing I like to do is I like to freeze it overnight because then you get the least shrinkage and the best even appearance. And you have one more step that's already done. Mm. That's perfect. L H or L Hilton 428 wants to know what kind of bake do you love the most to make and why? Mm. And what baking trends do you love and which would you like to see go away? Well, the first part of the question is really easy and that's bread. I mean, I'm known for cake, and I'm most proud of my pie crust. I like making bread the best, and you haven't yet asked me what I like eating the best. <laughs> you know? It's, no, no, it's no, not no, baked. No, no, it's no, not why, baked. No, why you like making bread? 
Ah, well, for one thing, it's alive. I mean, it is alive, and you know it's alive. And plus, you can use your hands. With cake, you don't touch the cake. It's fun decorating and frosting, but with bread, you're involved physically with it and emotionally and soulfully every step of the process. And I like eating bread, but I don't love eating bread as much as I love eating ice cream. (laughs) yeah (laughs) because the title of the next book spring of 2020 is roses baking uh, ice cream bliss i'm always superstitious when i fly or when i go on a trip if i finished a book and it hasn't gotten to the publisher yeah i always end up sending it to them sometimes i say do not open you know but this is in case anything happens to me i don't want the people not to be able to get all that hard work that i love so much want to share that's so thoughtful so how about baking trends? What do you love and what are you tired of? I generally don't like trends. You know, it reminds me of when the NASFT, which is the National Association for the Specialty Food Trade, after the Cake Bible, invited Sheila Lukens of the Silver Palette and me to come to Atlanta to the conference to talk about trends. And I'm generally so following my own visions that I didn't have an idea what the trends were, but that's when I realized I could say what I wanted them to be. Yeah. And so what I said was, and I'll tell you actually the trend that I don't like that I'm aware of, but what um what I wanted it to be was instead of quantity, quality, to use the best quality ingredients. And now this is the difference between baking in nineteen eighties and now you can actually get all these ingredients online even. Yeah. I mean, it used to be just bakers, um, professional bakers could get the best chocolate, all these esoteric things, glucose, and that make a difference, especially in ice cream. But now anybody can get that. The trend I don't like is overcomplexity, but it's not a new one. It's an ever-present one. Where, in fact, in the cake bible, I even said that it's like color. If you use seven colors, you end up with black. You know, you want to taste the ingredients. Oh, and also another trend: too much salt. Mm. Salt elevates flavor, but too much, and all you taste is salt. I do like fleur de sel. On the in the new book, there's the chocolate caramel tart, which is one of my favorites. But I found just the tiniest sprinkle. I kept reducing it, an eighth, a sixteenth, a thirty second. You don't want to get salt in every bite, just the surprise of salt. Mm, so perfect. Amanda, mm-hmm. what question do we have next? All right. I love this one from Southern Fatty. He asks, What is your favorite ingredient to feature? Well, my favorite flavor is lemon. And I wrote an article on vanilla, and I said it's the power behind the throne. Where would chocolate be without vanilla to smooth out its rough edges? Ah, oh, so true. Vanilla is a really favorite caramel. Have I, left? I like chocolate. I love chocolate if it's wonderful. But some people, as long as it's brown, ah, oh, chocolate. You know, I'm not a chocoholic. I'd rather make mine lemon. And in fact, the lemon bun cake, the triple lemon, is my favorite new recipe in the book. Jenk told me, it's like, when you get that book, that's the first thing you need to make is the... Do you know what Jenk wrote to me? He said, I'm never going to eat another lemon cake. And yeah. as the mother of the lemon cake, I thought, of course I felt that way. Here we're talking about Jenk, the author of The Artful Baker and Flower Hour alum from season one. He's a dentist, and I don't like things that are too sweet, probably because I grew up with that super sweet. Jenk even has a lower sweet tolerance than I do. So it's really meeting a kindred spirit. Yeah, he's, he's wonderful. We had him on last season just so special when i met him in person he said i'm surprised at how warm you were you are i wasn't expecting it and i said but i love you jenk didn't you realize that by now <laughs> i think he's written the most beautiful baking book i've ever oh, seen that book is an original and coming this fall on our blog we have what we call out bakes out cakes in the cake bible mm-hmm. and um in the cake book heavenly cakes but in this case um we have 
a version of the lemon cake in orange that's fantastic. It's already on. And then there's a tribute to Jenk coming out in December, the winter peach upside down cake where it has oh. my almond cake, but it has his food processor one. And I, I've tried food processor cakes in the past. It didn't work. His, it's so quick. It's so easy. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's perfect with the peaches. So I told him to be on the lookout for it because people love to have fruit at their peak, in, but they also can use frozen, frozen, pe- frozen, pe- frozen peaches in the winter that it holds its texture. And I discovered that from um, Emerald Lagasse, who's mm-hmm. an old friend. I thought I, tr- I trusted him, and when I saw a recipe for frozen peaches, I thought, "Really? Won't it be mush? It isn't. It holds the texture." So I'm very excited to be able to offer these three of us, you know, doing this one recipe. Wonderful! What a fun mashup! I love that. <laughs> um, baking butter, baking buttery love wants to know what advice do you have for someone who's just learning to write their own recipes? The more you write, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. And what I love about the new book, Baking Basics, is that this is the first time I've ever written a recipe exactly how I bake. And it's easier for me because it used to be before this book that I would go into the baking kitchen. I think, oh, yeah, where do I begin? And now we have what's called mise en place. And that means advanced prep. So you see right away you have to soften the butter. You have to have the egg at room temperature. And then step by step, I think the, the numbering recipes is very useful. And when you have pictures, you don't have to have as much text heavy. It can be more abbreviated. But really, writing, people tell me they want to be a writer, and I say, well, do you write? They're waiting for somebody to say, now you can write. Right. I kept diaries. You know, I just love words. So that's um, my advice. That being complete. And by me, by that, let's say, we've seen so many, like there's a mm-hmm. book I have us on Amazon right now that um, they say use flour. They don't tell you, they just say all-purpose flour. They don't tell you if it's unbleached or it's bleached. And they really don't tell you how they weigh it. Or measure. They, or don't, measure. they don't give the weights. So they just like take course, them, yeah. one cup of bleached flour. I mean, one cup of all-purpose. So mm-hmm. make sure you're complete with your recipe. Yes. Specific. Because it really matters in baking. Cake, if you use all-purpose, it's going to unbleach. It's going to go right. Just in the right center. Now. Yeah, you know, because the flour is like little ball bearings if it's not bleached. So it doesn't hold things, doesn't grab the sugar and the egg and hold it evenly in suspension, whereas bleaching roughens it up. And you can bake the cake with unbleached, and it looks perfect till it comes out of the oven, and then it can't support itself as it's cooling, so the center falls. But I made that mistake once when I was baking bread at the same time as cake, and it was browning faster because the higher the protein, the quick, more quickly it not bakes, but more quickly it browns. And then I thought it's going to be spoiled because it will drop, but it couldn't drop because it had a center tube. So if you insist on using unbleached flour, you're better off using tube pens because oh, it will give that support. Okay. Well, let's say their nice. thing would be whatever SB they're doing. Uh, let's say they think they have it perfected. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, let's say it's a cake recipe that they should take that we call to the point of, of failure. They were using a half a teaspoon baking powder, multiply that uh, half a teaspoon plus a quarter or an eighth and see what happens. Because we, we had that with the, uh, the Renee Fleming cake. We practically did 26 tests. But that was an extraordinarily different cake from any other. Because yeah, it was uh, a chiffon without a centered tube. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, um, we had, <coughs> had test six. And we said, oh, this is failing. And so let's just keep on playing with it. And then we 
finally got sort of close and we kept on going. At, at test 26, we finally hit the And wall. Jeremiah, the cake that you made, the deep chocolate passion, that was something that I tried so many times over the years to make a chocolate chiffon without a center tube. And the real groundbreaking thing here was to not beat the egg whites separately, but to add them. And I called Williams. He was in Minnesota about 11 o'clock at night. And I said, another failure. It looked like it was filled the pan only quarter full. And it was three quarters through the baking and nothing. And all of a sudden, it started levitating. It was the most magical moment in my baking life. Oh, and it didn't sink. It's, and it's, it's moist and it's soft. And I've made it into cupcakes and designer cupcakes. And, and that's what I made Daniel Patterson's cake. Well, that was four calls later after four times it failed. Well, but all through the years, you know, and then I read this. In the same day. I because I throw out another one. See, the more you know about ingredients, the more you can play with them. Yes. You know? And so I just, I re the thinking here was that egg whites, when they get beaten, they get thinner and thinner as they get more and more moussey. Right. So they also, the structure gets weaker. So I thought, what if I don't weaken it to begin with? And what gave me that thought was my old friend, Shirley Courier, who wrote Cookwise and Bakewise. She said, if you add one unbeaten egg white to a souffle, it won't fall as fast. So it took me many years to connect the dots, but that's what, you know, we all build on each other. Yeah. And the baking community is fantastic yeah, right. for that. Yeah. And this, this is why, you know, my favorite baking, I've known so many bakers in the Baker's Dozen. I so miss Erin Cunningham, who is a really dear friend, and Flo Breaker, I just, breaks my heart because she was she and I were like sisters. We had the same editor and the same publisher. Oh, wow. And I have more baking friends here in on, in San Francisco in the Bay Area than I do on the East Coast. Wow. Well, I'm right at home. You here. <laughs> at one point, I thought I was going to move with all that equipment and 20-quart Hobart. I never want to have to move again. <laughs> well, see, our thing with writing is they have someone else be able to proofread with them because uh, mm. you just... Building, uh, writing anything, you always build in your own words, like, oh, I forgot the dog. You just read into that. Right. Yeah, I have a metaphor for that. You see the way it should be rather than uh, what it is. Uh, with us, uh, everyone does that. We proofread back and forth to each other. One person reads while another mm. person is uh, speaking out yes. loud. And so many times, I mean, we, we proofed the last, this last book like seven times. And we just found something. That was wrong. And we yeah. wrong. <laughs> it, it was. It's not a significant thing, but I didn't want any mistakes. Of course, yeah. No. If I can avoid. Excuse me. Even professional proofreaders—they're oh. supposed to read backwards, but I don't think anybody does that anymore. Someone's trying to break into the writing world and put a book out. You got me on social media. You better have a website right. or a be mm. present on Facebook. Little videos because look how many books are written by technically booty bloggers uh, mm. that you never you know like we don't know who they are but or celebrities yeah, but not food celebrities but uh, you'll say like uh, nerdy nummies <laughs> you know she's got it we never even heard of her and she's the sudden, biggest YouTube channel, YouTube channel the face of everything has changed but the yeah. encouraging thing that we discovered in the Philadelphia library which is the only library that is a culinary center in the entire country so maybe in the world and they're all wanting to emulate the setup and they said that of all the books that are taken out from libraries, it's cookbooks that are the most. When I started out, they didn't, as I said, they didn't expect the book to sell because another cake book had failed. And, you know, and a big name, too. And people were more inter interested in macrobiotic uh -huh. and health. And I did it because that's what I loved. And I didn't care if it sold or not, which yeah. is sold, which is like the photographer saying whatever it takes. You know? yeah. But um, that's like the following your bliss. 
But people um, these days have a lot of trouble finding a publisher at all because it became so crowded. And it's hard sometimes to know what you can trust and what you can't. So I think if I'm most proud of anything, it's the fact that because of all this vigilance, people trust my recipes. But it's an, an extraordinary burden in a way, too, because what if the publisher lets me down? And, does, and now I thought electronic input was 100%. They input fractions manually. So in, in, the, in the galleys, which comes before the final, they change every two-thirds of a cup to one-third. So if somebody still uses volume, it wouldn't have worked. So that's the kind of thing we have to watch out for. It's sort of a big difference there. Carlos Marquina, 910, says, I can tell that while you are very technical and scientific in the way you explore and think, I can also tell that you have a very artistic side as well. Genuine connect with people. All of this, uh, from all of this, I was able to deduce from the stories in the Cake Bible that uh, that, um, their guess that your Myers-Briggs personality type is INFJ. Do you happen to know your Myers-Briggs personality type? What is that? <laughs> That's a personality <laughs> can, test. Oh, I can tell you what my astrological <laughs> <laughs> We'll take that too. Yeah. What is, you know, I would I love Carlos. I love him. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this is so p- funny because it used to be when I came out with the Cake Bible, and that was before Hal McGee made science and food popular, people would describe me as a food scientist, and I would cringe because that meant that I had no sense of taste or artistry. And to me, the first thing is the artistry. I like understanding, but I like sharing understanding so other people can change things if they want to. One thing at a time, by the way, that's the... I mean, we learned that in high school science, all of us, that you don't change two variables. (laughs) But um, I'm an Aries. You know, when I was floundering around what to do with my life and I hadn't finished college and my mother sent me to NYU, and it was a really expensive test that it judged your response against other people who are happy in their profession to see if their response was similar. And it's a funny story, but the main point is that they said I should either be a landscape artist or a writer. Funny thing is I got 99.9 in everything except design. And so I don't know how they came up with landscape artists, but the reason, and they told me I could retake the test if I wanted, is that they gave two pictures side by side, about 50 of them, and they were abstract, and I don't like abstraction. So if I don't like something, I'd rather take the one that's most um, symmetrical. I didn't like any of them, but I chose symmetrical across the board. Years later, when I went back to NYU and got my master's, the class in design gave that same test, and I said, oh, it's based on symmetry. And she said, that's too simplistic. It isn't. And I said, but what I'm going to do is choose the opposite of everything I like and or dislike the least, and I will get 100%. And I did. <laughs> you know, so I was right. So if I wasn't an artist, at least I was smart enough to realize what, what was going on. <laughs> oh, well, our classic flower art question is, if you could bake for anyone, oh. dead or alive, who would it be and what would you bake? Because I once had that question of who I would have, whom I would have dinner with, but whom I would bake for. I wish I had more time to think about it. Well, I actually put a quote of his in there. Yeah, that's an excellent quote. Thank you. I didn't think they'd let that fly because I was afraid they'd think, well, it's a militarist, you know, it doesn't belong in a cake book. But they didn't touch it, and I had a book sent to him. I wanted to invite him to the launch party, but I thought not only would he probably not come, but if he did. He gets mobbed, you know, so, or who knows. I would say Carl Powell. Should we say what the quote is so people know? 
okay, it's my personal mantra. So I was so astonished to see that he had said it, or I don't know if I read it or heard it. If you're going to achieve excellence in big things, you develop the habit in little matters. Excellence is, a, is not an exception. It is a prevailing attitude. I think it's beautiful. It's, it's perfect. It's the center of life. People are always saying, well, why are you so detail-oriented? Does that really matter? Everything matters. Although my husband once said that I really needed to have priorities. And I said, but I do. And he said, that's the trouble. When everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. Good point. <laughs> my mother always used to, her mantra, or what she was always saying the most was, they just don't care. So I guess I grew up with the concept that caring matters. That's very special. Thank you. And thank you for coming all the way to Oh, this do has this. been such a joy. And Oh, do we want to do the tart? Do we yes, have time? tell us about the tart. Because this was like, as I said, the hula hoop discovery of why didn't I think of this before? When a tart sticks to a two-piece pan, especially, say, a little bit of the pecan tart drips through, and that's so to sticky. Yeah. To the bottom, to the bottom well, where else is it going to stick? Oh, it could stick on the side, I suppose. But <clears throat> I like the non-stick pans, by the way, the um, the Gobel, G-O-B-E-L. But what people usually do, and what I always did, was to put it on top of a canister and then try to heat the bottom, but it's in the center, and it's two-piece, and it could fall off. And one day I thought, okay, what am I trying to do? This is really will demonstrate the way in which I think and the way in which I advise other people to think. When something isn't working, try to think about, well, what's the problem here? The problem is not being able to get through the heat to the entire pan. How do you solve it? You take another pan and heat it, like a cake pan. Turn it upside down and either use a blowtorch, I mean, those little torches are available, or a hairdryer, or run it onto hot water and dry it, and then put the tart pan on top. And if it's been refrigerated, it will take two applications of heat. But the heat melts whatever's sticking to it and it just slides off. This happened during the photo shoot. So isn't that just fantastic? That really solves the problem. And if you do get a hole in your pie crust or tart crust, don't use egg white because that's the glue of the pastry chef. Use either white chocolate or dark chocolate because then heat immediately melts it. Meantime, it it serves as an watertight plug Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, in preparing for this and telling the people on social media that we're going to see you, I can't tell you how much of an outpouring of the, how much of you inspired them and you've touched so many people. And so that probably means yeah. the most to me. It's, when I said something yeah. else, did I forget what it was? But it was to be able to reach people in a positive way. I mean, you've yeah. taught us all. So, yeah. probably one of these things we're at Market Hall and two people came up one uh, a woman and uh, one was a this is my girlfriend, but uh, both of them through college, they made wedding cakes to pay for their tuition. Mm, I didn't know that. In the fact that you know, here, and this is years later, and here they're getting the book, this new book. So that was pretty, and we've heard that many times. Yeah. And when I said that, it's a right, responsibility to make yeah. sure that things work when you make a wedding cake. Just think if you make your own wedding cake from somebody else, and you find out that there was a, something off in the recipe, and it's, it's and huge ingredients that yes. go to waste. Yes. Well, and you two as a team, too, is incredibly inspiring to watch. So, oh, thank you. Yes. It really works. <laughs> team, I love you. Call it Rose Rosewood, right? Thank <laughs> you for noticing that. <laughs> well, I couldn't have written as many books as I have if Woody hadn't come in with the Heavenly Cakes because I wouldn't do... I wouldn't rush to do it. I wanted to make sure everything, as you know, is perfect. So yeah. having Woody by my side makes it possible to do better work and faster work without compromise and tour 
<laughs> oh, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even consider touring on my own anymore. That is grueling. <laughs> oh yes. Not to show you the ice cream, and I'll show it to you, Amanda. I'll turn it to the camera. Yeah. Oh my That's God. That's raspberry ice cream. It just happened to be a texture that formed roses. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.